You can turn once again in your copies of God's Word to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're looking at verses 22 to 25 tonight. Uh, what, what might possibly be the best-known verse in the book of James? Uh, there are many of them, but this one definitely arises to the top. James 1, in, in chapter 1 of James, he has, in a sense, um, he hits all the themes he's going to hit in the rest of the book, but in much shorter fashion. So many of these topics he covers in chapter 1, in a very short time, uh, he will expand upon in the later chapters. So let's consider uh, this saying of the brother of Jesus, James 1, 22 to 25. This is God's holy word. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Amen. Would the Lord bless us as we look to his word together. So James, in this book, he's talking about true religion. He's talking about authentic Christianity, that is, living life in maturity, walking as mature Christians together. And James gave us, in a sense, a path of maturity uh, last time when we looked at verse 21. He said, Therefore, putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, we should receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That is, he says, he says reject sin, we call that repentance, and receive the word of God. We call that faith. Repentance and faith are the heart, really, of the Christian life. But repentance and faith, these invisible realities, have visible and external evidences. And James, he's calling the church to receive the soul-saving word of God, to receive it like ground receives a seed. And how do you know that the ground has really received the seed? It's that the seed sprouts, puts down roots, and grows into a fruit-bearing plant. And in the same way, we see that if faith and repentance are to really be received into the human heart, there will similarly be effects and evidences in a life of obedience to God. That is, obedience is the completion, as it were, of repentance. I want us to think of what our larger catechism says in question 76 when it asks what repentance is. And this is a wonderful way to think about repentance. The catechism says that repentance for the Christian means that he so grieves for and hates his sins as that he turns from them all to God, purposing and endeavoring constantly to walk with him in all the ways of new obedience. That is repentance. It is a grief and hatred for sin that results in a turning to God, and I love this language, a purposing and endeavoring constantly to walk in all the ways of new obedience, a new habit and a new way of life, a constant endeavor to walk in obedience to God's command. And this is the big idea I want us to come away with tonight, is that the path of endeavoring obedience to the law of God is the path of the blessed life. 
I've entitled this message, Blessed Obedience. And in many ways, this idea of obedience has gotten a bad rap. It's looked down upon. People don't like the word obedience. But I want us to see that obedience is indeed for the Christian. Blessed obedience. And I believe there's two main types of people that perhaps especially need to hear this message tonight. The first are those that might think that obedience to God is optional. And James says that if that's the case, you're in danger of being self-deceived. Obedience is optional. No. But the second group are those who might think um, obedience is not optional, but obedience is perhaps miserable. And I want, if that's what the way you think about obedience, I want you to know that to believe that is to miss out on the joy and blessing of walking in obedience to God. So let's give our attention to God's word. Look, look with me at verse 22. James says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So in light of the call to repentance and faith, James has this command for believers, to be doers of the word. That is, to become those who practice the word, to be practitioners, doers of the word of God. And the contrast here is to mere hearers, those who are just hearing and not doing. And now this idea, this word used for just hearers of the word, it's a word that was used in Greek actually of those that might audit courses at a university, similar to today. Um, if you're not familiar, you can take courses in a university for credit, and you do all the homework, and you end up graduating with a, perhaps a degree. If you audit the course, someone might attend, and they sit and they listen to the information, but they're not obligated to do any of the homework, complete any of the assignments, implement it. And so if you're coming to the end and you're going on stage to receive your degree, and someone that had merely audited the program is sitting there, hoping to also receive the degree, you would say, but you didn't do any of the work. You came and listened, and that's fine, but you didn't put it into practice. You didn't learn it by habit. And so it is with mere hearers of the word. And the deception here is that many think that hearing the word alone is sufficient. That hearing the word is all that's required. That it's possible to be a non-doing Christian, a non-practicing Christian. A commentator Douglas Moo says that to be deceived here is to be blinded to the reality of one's true religious state. To be blind to the reality of one's true religious state. Because here's the real danger. It's really easy to feel really good about listening. To feel really good about how well we've hear, heard all the information we intake. It's really easy to feel like we're really doing something just by showing up and listening. But that's not the way of the Christian life. Imagine someone you're talking to uh, who's fancying themselves a great musician. They're such a great musician. And yet they don't play any musical instrument. But they listen to lots of music. They've heard lectures on music theory. And they think because they know so much, they must be a great musician. We say, no, you don't play any instrument. You don't actually play or make music. You're just a hearer of music. And in the same way, there's many Christians that might even love listening to sermons, 
love debating the finer points of theology, enjoy reading Table Talk magazine, love talking about whether it was a good sermon or not, how, how well did the preacher declare the truths of God, how interesting was the exegesis of the text. And yet, it's just hearing and not doing. If your reception of the word doesn't lead to obedience to the word, you're receiving the word vainly. And you need to watch that you are not being deceived as to the reality of where your heart is with God. As that old Christian singer Keith Green said, he said that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Being in the location, just hearing, just receiving, that doesn't speak to the reality of your soul. So don't let your much listening deceive you as to the reality of your walk with the Lord. And what will be the opposite of being deceived here? The opposite of this deception would be to be assured. And that is the one who does the word, the one who's actually a practitioner. As that, that answer we said, um, one who is endeavoring and purposing constantly to walk with God in the ways of new obedience, that person has incredible reason for assurance, for great confidence that their repentance is genuine because it's resulting in endeavoring obedience. Those are two words I want you to really keep in your memory tonight. Endeavoring obedience. Because for the Christian, our obedience is never perfect obedience. It's never faultless obedience. And to be a doer of the words, it's not to be a perfect doer, but an endeavoring doer. That is, you're seeking after obedience to the word of God. And consider that even one who plays an instrument, who, say, plays the piano, if they, even if they play it poorly, they are more a musician that that, than that person that might listen to much music, but has never touched the keys. And God, God cares about our good works, even though are, they are in so many ways deficient. Again, here's what our confession says about good works in chapter 16, paragraph 6. It says that our good works are also accepted in Christ, not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in sight. He's saying even our best works are going to be defiled in some way, but that God, looking upon them in his Son, is pleased to accept and even reward that which is sincere, although accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. God loves and delights in our sincere, endeavoring obedience. And so the issue is not that we often play the wrong note. The issue is that we're endeavoring to play at all, to be a doer of the word and not a mere hearer. Let's consider again this illustration James uses to remind us of the foolishness of being a forgetful hearer. Look at verse 23. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. The main point in this illustration is the foolishness of forgetfulness. How quickly this person forgets what they have seen. And we think, how could someone look at their reflection in a mirror and then so quickly forget what they've seen? Now consider with me, why do you look in a mirror? You, you look in a mirror to see whether anything needs to change. You look in the mirror to say, oh, do I need to, do I need to fix my hair or is it okay as it is? Do my, does my outfit match or should I change? 
it's always a check. Am I good the way I am, or do I need to change? And the text says that this person is looking intently in the mirror. Now, when do you look most intently in the mirror? You look most intently in the mirror when you've seen some problem that you need to fix. You're, and you're really checking, like, what is that? Do I need to deal with that? What's going on there, and how can I fix it? There's a problem that needs to be fixed. And so when James is telling us that this person is looking intently in the mirror, but then at once goes away forgetting what they were like, he's implying to us that this person is making no effort. They're forgetting to correct the faults that they've seen. And so imagine uh, someone, he looks in the mirror, he notices he needs a haircut, but he never makes an appointment in the, at the barber's. Or she, she's looking in the mirror, she notices spinach in her teeth, and yet, as soon as she turns away, she forgets to remove the spinach. Or he goes, he sees his face in the mirror, notices the crumbs in his beard, but then doesn't even brush them away. Each of these people, they walk away, and they immediately forget what the mirror exposed to them. Similar for the hearer of the word. This is what commentator Albert Barnes says. He says that when we hear the word of God, it's like a mirror held up before us. In the perfect precepts of the law and the perfect requirements of the gospel, we see our own shortcomings and defects and perhaps think that we will correct them, but we turn away immediately and forget it all. We might call this malady fleeting conviction. Fleeting conviction. And that's a terrible co condition to be in. To be one who has mere fleeting conviction that doesn't lead to action. I remember very vividly many years ago watching this movie called Hotel Rwanda about that terrible Rwandan genocide that happened um, in, in the mid-90s. Many were slaughtered, and I remember very distinctly there's, there's a local Rwandan speaking to an official who's come over from America, and he's pleading with him saying, if only the Americans could see what was going on, if only they knew what was happening here, surely they would come and do everything they can to help us. And the man's response haunted me. He said that that's not the way it is. The family is around the table watching the, the TV, and they'll see, they'll see the images, they'll see the genocide. And wife responds to husband and says, oh my, that is so awful. How could that happen? But then continues, can someone please pass the potatoes? That is, they respond with this fleeting conviction, but it results in no action. Life continues on just as it always was, no matter how terrible the revelation of what was just seen. And some of you sitting here have been convicted of the same sin in your life time after time after time. And you sit here and you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, reminding you of your need to repent and walk in the ways of new obedience. Yet you leave these doors and you let the conviction fall away. You don't act upon the Holy Spirit's prodding of your heart. And that, my friend, is a scary place to be. And you think you're good enough because at least you were here, at least you were at church. Well, remember what the Lord God said to Saul when he was disobeying God, but still trying to worship through sacrifices, he says in 1 Samuel 15, 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, it is better to obey than sacrifice. 
and to listen than the fat of rams. God doesn't just want your words. He doesn't just want your presence in church. He wants your heart, and he wants your heartfelt obedience. Actually, he commands your obedience. And so it is time for specific, careful obedience to what God has commanded. The time is past, um, Paul tells us, it's past for doing what the Gentiles do in the darkness of their minds. It's past for doing what they do at night. We are children of the day, so let's arise and put on the armor of light. Let's fight the good fight of faith, taking hold of the eternal life to which we've been called, to throw off every sin and all that which clings so closely, and to run the race looking to Jesus. Don't be content to let your sin continually harass you. Earlier this summer, as you know, it's the weather's changing, you think, hey, we can start eating on the deck again. We very, very quickly realized that there was this wasp nest being built. And so you go out to eat, but then these wasps just are bugging you and harassing you and making it difficult to even go about your business. And there comes that point where you realize, I need to deal with this wasp nest. And so you go out, you spray it, you knock it down, do whatever you need to do to rid yourself of the harassment. And in the same way, some of you need to stop letting these same sins harass you again and again, and you need to get to the root to take radical obedience, to cut off the hand, to confess your sins, to choose to bring it to the light and follow the way of Jesus, the way of peace and harmony in communion with God and with one another, to bring it to the light. It's time to do the word of God and not just hear it. And now what is the how-to here? What do we do about this? What might it look like to become a doer of the word, one walking in this endeavoring obedience? Well, consider with me. Take a look at verse 25. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So who is this doer and what do they do? Well, first off, see, the doer looks into the perfect law of liberty. This word for looks is a word that means to stoop down and to look into. That is, to carefully observe. To carefully observe what God requires. To look into his word uh, the way a teenager looks at a text message from someone they like. What, what does that smiley face emoji mean? How, why did they punctuate it with two exclamation marks and not one and not three? Looking carefully, to look carefully, not to look the way most of you read over the terms and conditions, right? Scroll, 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 next. Looking carefully into the word. Um, Joseph Benson says that this expression implies much thought and meditation joined with self-examination. And if you were in uh, the, the catechism class this morning, you would have heard about the importance of meditating on the Word of God. Not just reading it, but applying it to our whole soul. That is, allowing the Word of God to transform our mind and understanding. Allow it to work its way to warm our heart, to love what God loves and hate what He hates. But to allow it to come all the way to the resolution of our will, where we commit ourselves and surrender ourselves to obeying what God has commanded. Careful observation. And what here is being um, observed, James says, looking into the perfect law, the law of liberty. He's talking about the law here, not strictly the Mosaic law, 
but what Paul often calls the law of Christ. That is the moral heart in all the commandments, which we saw applied in the Ten Commandments, but which Christ brings to further um, detail, to further application. The law summarized in his commands to love God with our whole selves and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The law of God, which is nothing less than God's will for our lives. We know God's will for our lives when we know the laws that he's given us, the rules for life that he's given us to follow. And James calls this a perfect law. That is, this is the law that is perfectly suited for the human condition. C.S. Lewis used that illustration of that there's in a sense in which the human is a machine, and God's instructions for that human machine are the perfect instructions for seeing humanity flourish and succeed and live in a beautiful way that God has given for us. It's a perfect law, but also a law of liberty. That is, it's a freeing law. And now, we naturally think that laws are opposed to freedom. That freedom is not living by any laws, but being able to do whatever you want. Well, the problem is that when you try to live apart from the rules for the human machine, when you try to live free of God's law, you actually end up living enslaved to your own passions. You end up living enslaved to the world, to your own flesh, and even to the devil himself, which is the worst bondage of all. But in Christ, we are freed from all of these controlling, tyrannical influences, and we're actually freed to live in a way that best befits our human nature, which is the freedom of living according to the perfect ways of God. God's law is a perfect law of liberty, and this is the law to which we look. Commentator Charles Ellicott says that the earnest student of the scriptures stoops down in humility of body and mind to learn what the will of their author may be. He reads, as it were, upon his knees. And if he finds therein a law, it's one of liberty and not slavery, life and not death. And let me remind you clearly that law-keeping is not legalism. Law-keeping isn't legalism. Legalism is a term that's used variously, and it, in theology, it can refer to one of three things. Legalism can be first either adding human laws to God's laws, as if they were God's laws. It's adding human laws. Secondly, legalism can be making law-keeping the grounds of salvation, the way of salvation, something the Pharisees especially were prone to. And thirdly, it can be holding the law in an unbalanced and overscrupulous way. Remember when Christ said to the Pharisees that they strain out a gnat and swallow a camp, camel, that they tithe mint, dill, and cumin, but they neglect the weightier matters, love, justice, and mercy. All these are examples of legalism. But notice that the way we would combat these is actually by giving closer attention to the scriptures. How do you know some person is adding their own laws to God's laws unless you know what God's laws actually are? How do you know that someone is holding God's laws in an unbalanced manner, straining out gnats, swallowing camels, unless you know what is the balance of the word of God? We actually need closer attention to God's word to combat legalism, not less attention to God's word. And so we look out, we search out God's will to do it as a freeing, perfect way to live, looking to it to obey it. 
And James says this is meant to be a persevering habit of life. He says the one who looks into the perfect law and perseveres, this is the one who is blessed. So he's saying, looking into God's word, trying to know God's will, it's no one-shot deal. It's no one-time thing, but a continual, perpetual habit of life. A continual posturing oneself as a student of the word. Uh, Pastor Alexander McLaren uh, speaks to the congregation and says, Many of you do not give the motives and principles of the gospel, which you say you believe, a chance of influencing you because you so interruptedly and spasmodically and at such long intervals and at so few moments do you gaze upon them. You're not spending time to gaze upon the word of God. Steadfast and continued attention is needful if we are to be doers of the work. We want to be doers of the word of God. And this persevering looker must also be a remembrancer and an actor. It says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Uh, This could be literally rendered, not being a hearer of forgetfulness, but a doer of work. Don't be a hearer of forgetfulness. Be a doer of work. Don't we need to be reminded so often, right? Peter, in his letters, he writes to the church. He says, I'm writing to you to stir you up by way of constant reminder. We need to be constantly reminded of even these most basic truths. I'm called to love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm called to love my neighbor as myself. We need to be stirred up by way of constant reminder to go back, remember again, act again, remember again, act again. Parents, you you know how quickly your children forget the instructions you've given them. Right? I don't know how many times I heard growing up, sitting on the couch, doing uh, what I'm doing, and JC, did you vacuum the stairs yet? Oh no, I forgot. Right? How often have you heard, oh no, I forgot. And the, the solution we came to in my household growing up is, uh, we realized it worked best when mom would write a list of the Saturday morning chores. Write a list and say, look at one, when you've finished it, immediately go back to the list, see what still is remaining, and do that. And in that way, you're not going to forget because you're constantly returning to the law. And so in the Christian life, as we are doing the work, we're constantly returning to the word of God to get our marching orders, our instructions on living for God, that we might be those who are doing it and practicing it, to be reminded again and again. And not just to remember, but to actually act on it. James says, a doer who acts. God has called us to be workers in his vineyard. No one hires an employee just to sit around, right? But to do work. And we are called God's servants, his fellow workers, farmers, soldiers, householders. Not hearers of forgetfulness, but doers of work. And we're going to see the next time we're in James. We'll see right after this passage. Three ways, three works James tells us to follow in. That is the works of um, keeping control of our tongues, the works of showing mercy to orphans and widows, the work of keeping yourself unspotted from the world. Doers who acts, not hearers who forget. And so what is the result of this endeavoring obedience? What does it end up doing? Well, amazingly, Look again at verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Isn't that amazing? That God blesses 
even our imperfect, endeavoring obedience. The text says he will be blessed in his doing, not only blessed in heaven, but blessed in the very act of obedience itself. You could say that obedience is its own reward. And God's commands in 1 John 5, we're told, they're not burdensome, okay? God's commands are not burdens to carry, but they're wonderful, blessed gifts that are given to the children of God, gifts for a blessed life. Alexander McLaren again says that there is no delight so deep and true as the delight of doing the will of him whom we love. There's no blessedness like that of an increasing communion with God and of the clearer perception of his will and mind. There's no blessedness like the glow of approving conscience and the reflection of the smile on Christ's faith. The best way to live is to live following the way of Jesus to live a life of endeavoring obedience. And now where does this endeavoring obedience come from? Where does it come from? This is the obedience that is desired by the Father, but has been purchased by the Son and applied to God's people by the Holy Spirit. And we know that Christ's death, it provides the forgiveness for all our, all our disobedience. All our disobedience is covered, and Christ's obedience is already credited to our account. So we don't need to obey to fill up some debt we're lacking to God, but we obey out of the overflow of the obedience of Christ already given to us, that approving smile of the Father he's earned for us. We obey out of that overflow of joy in our hearts. And we're called to run this way race looking to Jesus, the one who sanctifies us by the word of truth who made us to be born again by the word of truth. And so we remember that our endeavoring obedience is by no means the grounds of salvation, but it's the fruit of that salvation that Christ has already purchased for us. And as those who've been purchased by Christ, Christ would have every right to command our perfect obedience without giving anything in return. And yet, he chooses to graciously bless all our weak endeavoring obedience. He blesses us in the very act. And so let's remember that the gospel message, it's not opposed to the message of obedience. It's not opposed to this call to live a life of endeavoring obedience. Because the gospel itself provides us a model of obedience to follow. The work of Christ is in every way the pattern we're to follow. He died and calls us to die to ourself. He calls us to take up our cross and to follow him. Christ in love, he showed us love laying down his life for us, and now he calls us to lay down our lives for each other. As we even heard this morning, Christ's humble service is a pattern and example of the humble service we're to render to others. And so we delight in obedience because we delight in Jesus. And we delight in the way of Jesus. We delight in the paths of Jesus. And we delight in being more and more like Jesus. And so, the call for each of us tonight is to perseveringly look carefully at the word of God that we might deeply know the law of Christ found therein and the Christ of the law and act upon the word, to do the word, to practice its precepts, to obey its commands and experience the blessings 
of endeavoring obedience. Obedience is not a burden, but it's a gift, a gift that we have and we get to follow after because we've already been purchased and forever loved and saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that the Lord Jesus Christ rendered that perfect obedience we could never render, and that in him you see us as holy and blameless and above reproach in your sight. But Lord, we want all that you have for us, even in this life now. We desire to see the goodness of God in the land of the living, and we desire to taste the joy of walking in the way of Jesus, of staying on that narrow path. So Lord, would you help us to cast off every weight and the sin that sings so closely? Would you help us to run the race you've set before us with endurance, looking to Jesus as the author and the founder of our faith? And we pray for the Spirit's strength, in each one, that the Spirit would strengthen hearts, minds, and wills to put sin to death, to bring spiritual good to life, and to persevere in a life of endeavoring obedience to the perfect will of God. Help us to surrender our wills to yours, that we would have your joy and blessing upon us. Thank you for how well you've favored us in Jesus and the hope of eternal life we have in him. Help us to remember these things this week. We pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.